to Totalus Rankium. This week, Michael Nye. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob and this is episode 162. It's Michael number nine. Oh no. Oh no. I'm not, I'm not living through that again. I've already listened to that song once. <laughs> Are you saying that's not your favourite ever Beatles song? <laughs> is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Oh, it's an amazing song. Um, right, okay. Uh, anyway, it is Michael number nine, number nine. Um, and it's a bit of a strange one this week. Ooh. I feel like that wasn't the full introduction. Did I get distracted? Ah, well. I, I can't remember. I'm sure if people have got to episode 162, they, they can figure out the introduction themselves. So, yeah. Anyway, Michael nine, strange one this week, Jamie, because obviously we have already covered his entire role. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, in fact, completely. We covered Andronicus 2 in uh, his long and, let's be honest, mediocre reign, and Michael yeah. Nine dies before his father. So so we've kind of already covered the whole thing, so there's no new oh. ground broken today. Well, let's rate him then. Well, I, I know what some people <laughs> might be thinking, what you might be thinking even, is why are we covering him? Yeah. Why does he get his own episode? Yeah, Rob, why? Sh- surely he's just a co-emperor. He never ruled yeah. in his own right, and to be honest... This is a very good argument. But he's always on the lists, and I don't want people to think we miss someone, so we're doing him anyway. Uh, But yeah, you could argue he doesn't deserve to be here, but yeah, we're going to do it anyway. That's what we're going to do. So here we go. We start, Jamie, on Easter Sunday in 1277. (gasps) Bunny rabbits. Bunny rabbits. Bunny rabbits all around. Laying eggs. Hatching little chicks. Yeah, everyone is dressed up as bunny rabbits, holding bunny rabbits. There's a lot of chicks looking up at their parents, looking very confused. (laughs) Um, It's around noon, by the way. That's how uh, much precision we have on the birth of Michael Nine. Yeah, but when is noon? Is noon one o'clock, half twelve, twelve? It's around noon, noon? so it's about that time. Okay. Yeah. Mm, Not that precise. Mm, Well, I mean, that's pretty, pretty precise. I mean, that is... I didn't actually write the date down, but I know we've got the date. 17th, I think. (laughs) I think it was the 17th. It was a Sunday. Uh, The month would obviously be April. April. Oh, day before my birthday. Is it? Yes, April the 17th, Jamie. It's the day before your birthday. Hmm. How exciting. It is. It's the closest we've come. 162 episodes. We've never had someone dead on. It's the closest we've come. Obviously, the royal family made the most of a grandson of the emperor, Michael Eight being born on Easter Day. He was called Michael Nine, and it was declared a miracle, Jamie. Why? It's a miracle. Why this time? No, no, because he was born on Easter Day. It's a miracle. Why well, he had a one in 365 chance? I mean... <laughs> well, I thought exactly this, and that, so I did some research. Um, I looked up the uh, Orthodox Wikipedia... Just in case <laughs> the Orthodox Church has a different definition to the one I'm used to, being miracles. Uh, the Orthodox Wikipedia cites the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, by the way, just in case you know. And they define a miracle as, and I quote, an event that appears inexplicable by the laws of nature and so is how to be supernatural in origin or an act of God. 
which obviously also includes, like you say, something that has exactly a 1 in 365 chance of happening. Yeah. Apart from nuclear. I mean, it, if he was conceived on April the 16th, <laughs> I'd argue that's point. a miracle. That's a good point. I didn't think to check when he was conceived. So, yeah. Uh, let's say he was conceived the day before. Miracle yeah, now birth. it's a miracle. Yeah. It is a miracle birth. So there we go. That's nice to know, isn't it? It's a miracle. Oh, and yeah. we've also got the miracle jingle that we recorded for some <gasps> reason ages and ages ago, which I found. Oh. Yeah, I was just oh. doing some, like, tidying up of my files, and I found a miracle jingle that we'd recorded nice. ages and ages ago for some reason. So uh, I'll throw that in, and there nice. we go. It's you saying miracle with some harps in the background. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I have no memory of that at all. No, I remember no, the right. Omen, time, Omen Time introduction. Oh, recorded time, it two years yeah. ago. I checked the date on it. Two years old, that, that is. Yeah. Wow. So here it is. And there it was. Miracle. Hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, from now on, we will be playing that every time there is a genuine miracle or whenever something that has exactly a 1 in 365 chance of happening. Because apparently they're the same thing. So, as per usual, for this time, very little on Michael Nine's childhood, uh, but we do know that at around roughly the age of four, his mother dies. Another miracle. Uh, well, not the mother dying, but the mother dying on that precise day was yes. indeed a miracle. Yes, we don't have the day, but presumably it was a day, so therefore yep. it's a miracle, Jamie. Okay, a play miracle. the music again. There we go, a miracle. He was left with his little brother and his father, Andronicus too. So the, the, the family's a little bit smaller, a bit sadder. Well, presumably he grew up in court. We assume he was well-educated, etc., etc. Uh, we don't get any tales of him being crazy or fun as a child. And as an adult, he was described as being pious and sensible. So presumably not, not a crazy child. Not probably a real No, probably a typical just plodded on with stuff kind of child. Mm. A year after the death of his mother, his grandfather, the emperor, dies. So his oh. father, Andronicus II, becomes the emperor. And then, as we saw, his father then remarries. And you've oh. probably forgotten this, but his father yeah. married 10-year-old Yolanda slash Irene. She changed her name. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yes. Now, Michael Nye yeah. is seven years old at this point, so his new stepmom is only three years older than him. And still a child. Yes. So that would be weird. They yeah. could play. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, this is a political marriage, um, but it must have been very strange to have a stepmother so close in age to you. Mm. Uh, now, just so you know, we don't really go into this uh, later on in the episode because it doesn't really attach to the story much. But uh, the two of them hated each other in later life. The, the stepmom and the son? Yeah. yeah. Yolanda mm. has children and she feels like her children should be next in line for the throne, not the stepchild. Uh, the two nice. do not get on at all. Now, we hear nothing about Michael until he's 11 years old and his father betroves him to Catherine of Courtney. This is... Another political move. Uh, Catherine was the Latin Empress of Constantinople in exile. Well, in other words, you know how they kicked the Latin Empire out of Constantinople? Yeah. Well, she's now in charge, in theory, but oh. she's not there, so she's in exile. So this is Andronicus thinking, tell you what, let's marry her into the family and then there won't be any crusades claiming the city back, maybe. Fingers crossed. Yeah. 
However, the marriage didn't actually take place. Communication between the two sides break down. The betrothal, although not formally broken at this time, it's it's just not going to happen and everyone knows it. So people in the court start speculating who is going to wed the heir. And a lot of people wanted to wed the heir, obviously. Tie your family into the royal family? Oh, that's going to be good, isn't it? <gasps> Did you think so, where they get like those women lined up? Like the women cast No, no. As far as I'm aware, that didn't happen. But there was rumour and speculation. Yes. Uh, several names were put forth, including the sister of the current king of Sicily and the daughter of the despot of Epirus. But in the end, it was decided that the Armenian princess Rita was the best choice. Ah, oh, good name. Yes, it is a good name. So Andronicus sends the current patriarch to go and negotiate. Go and see if you can pick yourself up a princess from Armenia, if you will. And uh, it works well. The patriarch came back with the princess under his arm. Hmm. Not literally, I hope. <laughs> this is beside the point, but I just found this out whilst doing my research and it was interesting. Uh, Rita was the king... Rita was the daughter of King Leo II of Armenia and his wife, Karen. Karen, not sounding like an old name, but it is. Mm. Spout it with an E, so it's more like Kieran, but it looks like Karen yeah. to me. Anyway, they had children to spare, because guess how many children they had together? 385. Not quite. 16, Jamie. 16? 16 children. And wow, they, that's a miracle. They all belong to the two of them. It is a miracle. Quick, play the jingle. <laughs> 16 children and only wow. four of them died at an early age so yeah so so 12 left that's 12 left they had children to spare so they were more than happy to ship off Rita go and be the daughter-in-law of the Roman Emperor and wife to the heir so that's great the two mm-hmm. get married in January of 1294 another miracle a couple of months later <laughs> a couple of months later, just to make sure succession was secure, Michael IX is crowned in the Hagia Sophia. So there you go, he is now yes. co-emperor. He's got a wife. Uh, everything's good. And all by the age of eight. It's quite amazing. <laughs> not, not quite eight. Uh, he's 17 at this point. All right. Yeah, so so young. Now, just to keep you grounded in uh, the, the now... Uh, where we are in the story. Let's uh, just sum up what's going on in the wider world very briefly for you. Now, if you remember, his father is fighting with the church at this point. The church has been split into factions after they joined and then split with the Western church. All the yes. arsonites are trying to take over and it's, it's not working. <laughs> arsonites. The, <laughs> the economy is tanking uh, and simply taking back the capital had not solved all the problems in the empire. And now payments were due for all the effort of fighting Charles of Anjou, which we covered couple of Rob, episodes Rob, ago. Rob, you're reading today's headlines by the UK. <laughs> yes, yes I am. Sorry about that. Yes, yeah, so things aren't going well. Uh, the forces of the Empire, so the army and the navy, were all just being ripped apart to save money. Mm-hmm. Also, the sack of Baghdad has just taken place, while I say that. About 40 years ago, uh, it took place. Oh. <laughs> uh, and that meant an influx of powerful Turkish families had moved into the power vacuum left from the Mongols, also destroying the Sultanate of Rum. So, mm. Anatolia is now having a lot of powerful Turks move in. And they yeah. want to spread their... My love. <laughs> just themselves about a bit. Yeah. A bit of elbow room for them. So to the west, the empire of the Bulgars is also starting to unite against their Mongol invaders, and soon they would be stronger than they had been in a while. And as for the rest of Greece, well, that's all a bit of a mess right now, and it doesn't really come into the story of Michael too much, so I'm just going to leave that bit. 
Okay. But to sum up, the empire's a mess, it's poor, and you've got the Turks to the right and you've got the Bulgars to the left. Both of them looking quite strong. Hmm. Got it. And Michael Nine is young, he's married, and he's raring to go. He wants to make a good start. He wants to impress. So where I first... Well, his dad's running the actual empire, so he best get on with succession. He starts making a family. It's his duty. And they soon have four children. Make a note of these children. Uh, They do come back into the story. I'm on a computer, for goodness sake. (laughs) He's scrabbling for a pen. (laughs) Yep, like an animal. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, the first child to be born was Andronicus III. That's job done, we have a successor. If you're paying attention, and you remember last episode, you'll remember he will be our next emperor. He, at the end of last episode, had a big falling out with his granddad. Well, we all do. After Andronicus III was the younger brother, Manuel. Ah. Yes. Hello, monsieur. After Manuel, we have the eldest daughter, Anna. And then finally, we have the younger daughter, Theodora. Now, they weren't all born at this time, but just for, for ease of explaining it to you, uh, just know that's, that's the family. What a lovely no, it was family. a miracle, all born at the same time. Miracle. So miracle. Th- there's your family. Uh, they seem like a nice family, don't they? Do you want to guess who lasts the longest? Andronicus. Andronicus three. Yeah. Okay, we'll see. We'll see, shall we? No, wait, Anna. No, wait, Theodora. No, wait, the other one. Manuel. <laughs> we will see. Right, I've okay. my bets. I'm saying all of them. Oh, I didn't... think they die at the same time. It's a landslide. You didn't mention the mother. Yeah, but you didn't mention... What was her name again? Rita. Oh, yeah, Rita. I'll add her to the list. <laughs> Rita. So that's the family. We'll see what happens to the family. Uh, but right, right now... We need to, and so does Michael, pay attention to the Empire because it's in trouble. The Turks are attacking the Eastern Frontier. And due to reasons we covered last time, the Empire was running out of generals. Michael's (laughs) uncle, Constantine, was found plotting against his father, Andronicus II, so he was thrown in prison. And then their top general, Alexius, was also caught plotting treason, so he was blinded. Mm. And after Alexius, there was a general called John... Trachonites. Uh, he was put in charge. Uh, he was actually pretty good. He was competent. Yeah, yeah he was getting stuff done, but he was an arsonite. <laughs> uh, and the current patriarch was not an arsonite, so he was driven from his position just for his religious beliefs. Good stuff. There we go. And then after this, there's a whole succession of incompetent generals that we don't know the names of, but apparently they were all rubbish. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, corruption and ineptitude essentially meant that the meagre troops that they did have on the eastern frontier were useless. So, out of options, Andronicus decides to put his son, Michael Nine, in charge of the troops. There's no way he was going to be treasonous. He's my son. As for inept, yes. well, let's hope he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I now, mean, he has no experience. He's only 18. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, to be fair, we've skipped a bit. He's a bit older now. He's in his uh, uh, mid-twenties, if I remember correctly, at this point. Right. Uh, so, this is the first taste of war for the co-emperor. And it's also against one of the smallest Turkish factions in the area. So, hopefully Three it won't people. be too hard. Um, if I saw you in an army, it's just a, a group of settlers. Uh, it's just a group a of people farmstead. being led by someone called Othman I, 
who would mm. be the founder of something called the Ottoman, the Empire. Ottoman Empire. So yeah. I'm sure this won't go anywhere. This uh, the smallest faction. It'll be fine. Absolutely mm. fine. Michael is keen to prove himself. He's got about 15,000 troops. That's a lot. That sounds good. However, 10,000 of them were Alan. Alan! (laughs) Because of you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the Alans had fled the Mongols and they'd arrived in... Oh no, I am quite scared. I need to run away. Yes, and then they turned up at Constantinople. I feel I'm now safe. Yeah. Uh, and Andronicus said, okay, of course you can stay, but you've got to go and fight in the army whilst your family stay here. How about that? I'd, I'd really prefer not to, if that is up to me, sir. Well, you've got no choice. Here's your pocket protector, off you go. Splendid. So, 10,000 Alans and around <laughs> 5,000 Roman troops. Uh, just so you know, the Alans were not happy working for the Romans. They saw the Roman generals as being effeminate and just not very tough on the battlefield. <laughs> Where are your pocket protectors, eh? Exactly. I can only assume that they saw the Roman generals with ink stains all over their pockets and they were not impressed. An absolute travesty. Yeah. So um, you've got some unruly Allens who are only Rawr. there for money. And you've got about 5,000 of your own troops. Uh, Michael found that the Allens did not obey his orders to not loot the land that they were protecting. He was really they struggling. They want the pens. Well, exactly. They want <laughs> the station. They're in there. And it's so easy to lose a pen. And then you just want another mm. one. And yeah. So Michael is trying to keep the Allens in order, but it's just not really working. He was worried they weren't going to stay loyal, but there's not much he can do. And then in spring of 1302, he approached the enemy. 1302. Yeah, we're in 1302 now, Jamie. We've hit the 1300s. That's insane. We're only a couple of hundred years away from the Tudors, Jamie. Wow. Yeah. Who's the king of England right now? I know. Henry III. Henry III? Henry III! Wow. Uh, Hang on, let me just double check that. Have I got that right? No, no, it's not. It's Edward I. Edward the oh, first, Eddie. Ali's favourite. Aha! Welcome in to the Edward Zone. Life will never be quite the same after this chap, so um, buckle up, because this stuff's about to get Rexy. Anyway, do him justice, chaps. I know you will. Or even if you're not doing him. Oh no, it's a uh, totally swanky in Um, if you mention him, just uh, just you know, be fair. Give him the Rex factor. All right. Cheers. Bye. Anyway, the fact is, it's 1303. No, it's not. It's 1302. And um, Michael's approaching the Turks. He doesn't want to attack first. The Ottomans have a good defensive position. They're all sort of hid up on the highland. So Michael's not an idiot. He's going to stay where he is, try and draw the Turks down onto lower land, even footing. Attacking nice. seemed like a bad idea, so he bided his time, he waited, he studied, he thought, he plotted, and he was in the middle of stroking his chin, probably, in the middle of just popping another line on his blackboard of plans, when all <laughs> of a sudden the Ottomans descended from the hills and swarmed him. Oh no. Yeah. Charge, they well, said. No, no. The Oh, no, because it's the yes. And of course, yeah. well, maybe the Allens are saying that in return. Like, no, no, he wishes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well. Oh, no. 
Well, Michael orders his men to form up for battle, but his fears were correct. His men panicked and fled. I'll quote here. Ours did not even see how great the number of the enemy was. Cowardice happened to them. What happens to drunkards? Drunkards see not what is really in front of them, but imagines that it's something else. Before the enemy had time to attack, they themselves were running away from their cowardice. So, To be fair, I yeah. am quite drunk right now. <laughs> yeah, all, all the Allens legged it, and then all the Roman troops saw the Allens legging it, so they legged it, and uh, Michael was forced to flee. That's he annoying. Um, fled to a nearby fortress of Magnesia, which is a cool name for a fortress. In brackets, Bilkov. Um, the lands that he was sent to defend were just torn to pieces, and we're right in the upper left of Anatolia here. We're right up against Constantinople. This is very close to home, and yeah. the whole land is being ravaged by the Turks. And Michael, to be fair to him, he didn't give up immediately. He and what many had left followed the Ottomans around for a bit, but they were too weak to fight, and they couldn't really do anything. And after a year of getting nowhere, Michael becomes very ill. Seriously ill. Most assumed he was going to die. The illness, whatever it was we don't know, lasted until 1303. So he was ill for a good solid few months here. Uh, wow. Rita joined him for most of that time. So his wife came, so presumably the kids came as well. But to the surprise of many, Michael actually pulled through. He made a slow recovery. And then in the start of 1304, he was well enough to return to the capital. It's a long illness. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd not succeeded. He'd left hoping he would return with military glory under his belt. But no, all he has under his belt, he checked as he was walking back. All there is is humiliation. And defeat. Oh. You don't want that under your belt. You don't. No. That's where you keep important things. Yeah, exactly. And when he returned, he learnt two things. Actually, this, is, this isn't true. This is dramatic flair, Jamie. <laughs> he says, because he wasn't, like, completely out of it when he was ill, so he would have learnt these things as they were happening. But just to keep the episode moving at a pace, let's say he learnt them upon his return to the capital in dramatic style, shall we? Number one... The Bulgars had united, kicked out the Mongols, and now were trying to take Thrace under their new king. Ooh. So that's the western border of the empire under threat as well. And number two, the roguish knight, Roger de Fleur, had been employed by his father to fight out in the east in his stead. Oh, that's just a... that's a demotion. Yeah, that's not good, is it? That's embarrassing. No. Yeah, actually, there is a story that Roger de Fleur turned up where um, Michael was ill and Michael just refused to see him. Uh, but we don't know if that's true. Uh, oh, and if he did, maybe it was because he was ill. So, like I say, Michael would have known this as it was happening. But let's say he got back to the capital and it was all laid out in front of him. So yeah. Roger's out fighting in the east. Michael, what you need to do, said his father, is go and push back the Bulgars. So, Michael heads out once more, but to the west this time. And this time, to be fair, he was more successful. There were no major battles to begin with, but many of the fortresses that the Bulgars had taken fell back within Roman hands, or into Roman hands Ooh. even. Uh, many skirmishes took place, and Michael seems to have won enough of them that people were happy with him. Uh, we know that the Patriarch at one point was singing his praises back in the capital, so he was obviously doing a good enough job, probably. Yeah, yeah. good enough-ish. Yeah, but a major battle could not be avoided forever, and eventually the Romans and the Bulgars come to blows. We're now in late 1304, and this is the Battle of Scaphida. 
named after the river, Scaffida. In fact, it was named after the river that the battle took place next to, slash, over, slash, in. Oh, So, yeah, yeah, it's very rivery themed, as you'll see. So, (laughs) on one side, you've got Michael with roughly 10,000 men. Again, you've got a whole bunch of Allens in there. And on the other side, you've got Theodore Svetoslav. He is the new Bulgarian king, and he's got about 8,000 men, so fairly even. Yeah. However, just know that Bulgarian force is a united force that have been winning a lot recently. And uh, Michael's still with his allens that keep running away from everyone. Also, I have a very clear image of the Bulgarian army wearing, like, rubber rings and armbands. (laughs) All of them with their life-saving badges (laughs) sewn into their uniforms. They'd spent the previous six months jumping into (laughs) swimming pools in their pyjamas, trying to pick up bricks. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you've got you've got that about right. So you've got the two sides lined up. The battle, the river is behind the Bulgars, and the two lines are facing each other. I mean, generally, mm. the Bulgars are not where you'd want to be. You don't want a river behind you, do you? No, you don't want to get pushed into it. Yeah, exactly. We've seen this many times before. If you line up with a river behind you, you that's some trouble right there. Mm. Uh, and they start the fight. Uh, the Romans start off very well. They start pushing the Bulgars back towards the river, and in fact, this is going really well. The Bulgars break, and they turn and they flee towards the river, and they flee over the bridge. There is a bridge. Ah. Yeah. The Romans, really happy about this, start chasing after them. This sounds like a trap. <laughs> <laughs> what, what on earth makes you think that? <laughs> it's all the crocodiles and stuff. <laughs> Well, the Roman forces follow, and uh, they cross the bridge, and the bridge starts to make some very worrying noises. Uh, lots of creaking noises. I can hear this weird cracking sound. Yeah. This isn't following the 4947D ordinance. Then the bridge collapses. Ah. The forces that had got across realised that the Bulgars were coming back. The forces on the bridge were now the forces in the river drowning, and the forces that hadn't reached the bridge yet were cut off. Yeah. So that's not good. Yeah, uh, yeah the Bulgars swung back round and just absolutely annihilated the Roman forces that had managed to cross the river. Michael lost over half of his men, utterly crushed. Uh, now, not all the Roman forces were killed. Many were captured and ransomed, wow. and Michael and his father had to sell their personal jewellery in order to buy them back again. This was an utter humiliation. So um, that's Michael's second major battle. Fun. So Michael heads to Adrianople to lick his wounds. That's quite close. And it's here that the roguish knight Roger de Fleur was murdered. If you remember last episode, Roger went to a party with 300 of his bodyguards and they all got murdered. Yeah. Well, that's how I told it last episode, but let's look into it a little bit deeper here, because how did this happen? Like I say, last episode I heavily implied that Michael was behind it and his father probably knew as well. But in doing the research for Michael, I found actually there's a couple of other sources that said things happened slightly differently. Uh, so let's play Who Killed Roger de Fleur? Who killed Roger de Fleur? So just to remind you, Roger by this point leading the Catalans, the mercenary troops. Uh, He has taken a huge chunk of Anatolia um, and he's become so powerful it's only a matter of time before he carves out a chunk of the Roman Empire just for himself. 
Yeah. He also, don't forget, had forced Andronicus II to declare him Caesar. So he was now fourth in line of the throne. So Roger's powerful. So who killed him? Option one. It happened like I said last time, and most of this comes from uh, Pacameru's if I'm pronouncing him correctly. He's our major source for the, the time. Roger turns up at Adrianople after demanding a huge amount of pay from Michael's father. And the only mm. reason for him to go to Adrianople at this point is either for him to show off to Michael that he's now powerful, or maybe to, pre- to befriend Michael uh, because he wants to be accepted within the royal court. Maybe. Who knows? But the fact is, Roger turns up in Adrianople. Michael invites him in. Now, yeah. according to the source I followed last time, Michael invited him, which makes you think that maybe this was all planned from the start. Yeah. Roger arrives with his 300 men. They party for a week. And then on the very last night, Michael left the room early and in came a bunch of Allens seeking revenge for Roger killing a bunch of Allens when he had first arrived in the area. I want some revenge. So, that's option one. Option two, different source this time. This is Gregorus. Roger turned up to put Michael Nine in his place. He showed up and he let the co-emperor know that his father had given in to his demands for money and titles. And I'll quote here. When he did this, so when Roger did this, the emperor Michael flared up with anger and the soldiers who surrounded the emperor in large numbers, drawing their swords immediately hacked Roger and, along with him, some of his companions. So apparently, according to Gregorus, uh, Michael Nine was just jealous of the success of Roger and had grown to hate the man, so as soon as he turned up, they just hacked him to bits. That's quite brutal, but understandable. Brutal. Mm. Number three, uh, Michael actually had nothing to do with it. There's a story that relates that a teenage Alan was angry that Roger had killed his Alan father and had started a riot. And uh, actually, it was all out of Michael's control. It was just an accident. So those are our three options. Yeah. We've got Michael planned it and got the Alans to do his dirty work. Michael, in a fit of anger, just killed Roger. Or Michael had nothing to do with it. What are you going for? Do you know, I think I would... Like knowing history is really messy. I, I, I'm my gut feeling is the um, angry Alan, young Alan. I mean, the angry Alan story does also kind of link to the first story. It could be that Michael left the room for purely innocent reasons, hmm. and then that riot that kicked off. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to go with uh, number three. Yeah, even though we said last time that Michael probably mm. knew what was going on. If you're going for that, I'm going for that. Are we going to say would- Michael? What would you go for, though? If you, like, what's your gut feeling? Oh, genu- I genuinely have no idea. All right. I mean, th- <laughs> this one is up in the air. There is no way that you can tell. He either knew or he didn't. We've got no way of telling. So yeah. um, I know what the Catalans thought. The Catalans thought Michael knew what was going to happen. But of course they'd think that, regardless of whether Michael was innocent or not. You're going to think it happened in Michael's court. So, mm. Yeah. Okay, um, well, let's say he's innocent of that, then. That was nice of us, wasn't it? But whatever happened, the result's the same. Roger's dead, and the Catalans are furious. A new Catalan leader uh, soon emerged. This was Bernat de Rochefort. These are, these are incredibly French names for a Catalan region. I, I don't know. Maybe I should have said that in a Spanish accent. Yeah. <laughs> and it would have sounded more Spanish. Uh, anyway, Bernat sent word to Michael's father, the emperor, with three words. This means war. 
That's not a direct quote, by the way. Maybe it was more than three words, but that was the essence of the message. We think you did this on purpose. We are now going to make you pay. Andronicus too attempted to say, no, 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 this has nothing to do with us. This was an accident, but it fell on deaf ears. Uh, The Catalans, numbering around 5,000 at this point, by the way, but this is 5,000 knights, seriously good soldiers. They also brought on board 500 Turkish warriors, just for fun, and start ransacking Thrace. So the Bulgars were still trying to take over the area, and now you've got the Catalans and some Turks in there as well. So that's all a mess. It is. Yeah, and Michael's meant to be sorting it out, and uh, he he can't. I mean, he quickly rounds up as many troops as he can. He was able to get, and the numbers are all over the place here, anything between 6,000 and 60,000. But that second number seems far, far, far too high. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. It's most likely around 10,000 men, because that's what he was sort of mustering up before. What are you looking up? <laughs> I can tell by the sudden light on your face and your scanning. Yeah, no, sorry, just... Yeah, no, it's a bit... We're um about 30 years away from when A Knight's Tale was set. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, Good it's fact. very interesting. So, Chaucer's probably not born yet, but it will be soon. Tell you what, I try and remember. What year is A Knight's Tale set? Um, Edward the Black Edward of Woodstock which just sounds brilliant 40, it's just generally 14th century so it could be any time oh, in okay. that well we'll make sure to mention when A Knight's Tale takes place yeah Prince Edward so it's Prince Edward sorry I'll stop getting so distracted <laughs> so Michael's um, Michael's got to sort this out Thrace is meant to be the area he's sorting out and at the moment it is a mess so he it rounds really up is. his troops uh, so like I say, he gets maybe around 10,000 men. Uh, so he's he's doubling probably easily the Catalans. But the problem is the 5,000 Catalans are all knights that have made a living out of not dying in battle. They yeah. were very good at not dying in battle. So are, the two sides we in, meet. Are, are we in that time period where it's like knights in shining armour where they, like, they wear proper oh, yeah. full plate yeah, yeah. armour now? Yeah, we're, we're there now, Jamie. Oh, that's so cool. It is very cool, isn't it? But these are Spanish knights. So so red and yellow armour. Yes. Yeah, and just cool accents. Yeah. And, oh. and little holes in the visors for their small cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. So the two sides meet. Michael puts his Allens to his left and some Thracians he's rounded up to his right. And the bulk Here of I his... am stuck in the middle with you. Well, yeah, he's in the middle with the bulk of his cavalry and his infantry. In the middle. Now, opposite him, the Catalans set up in the middle and they just put the handful of Turks they've got either side. The two sides line up against each other and then with a cry of Aragon, St. George, the Catalans attack. Only they say that in a cool Spanish accent. Aragon, St. George, attack. Yeah, exactly. When he means to shout it, he just like whisper it while taking a yeah. drag of his cigarette. <laughs> just, just in a husky whisper. He then flicks his cigarette to the floor where it lights the beacon that starts their charge up. That's how cool it was. Guess what the Allens do? Run away. Yeah, the Allens run away. And as soon as the Allens run away, then the Thracians run away, and then the rest of the Roman troops run away. Well, it's just such a cool charge, it would. Well, Michael, Michael doesn't. Michael stays. Michael looks around him, despairs that all his forces are running away. He turns to the hundred or so men around him who hadn't fled, because (laughs) they're by the Emperor, so they probably shouldn't. 
And we've got a quote here. He says, Gentlemen, now is the time when death is better than life, and life is worse than death. Charge! So it's essentially saying, if you want a job done well, do it yourself. Yeah. According to Gregorius, Michael single-handedly charges at the Catalans. With his hundred guards staying behind slightly. Well, <laughs> you do. <laughs> um. You really do get that big, big train sketch where the general <laughs> charges off on his own. That's what I had in my head. But uh, apparently uh, some of his bodyguard go with him. Obviously, that's what they need to do. But it is a small number. Uh, we, we're talking, a, it's like everyone else is running away and you've got the emperor and a few men charging towards them. This caused some confusion amongst the Catalan troops, apparently. What is this? So what do you think is going to happen? Uh, they run him through. <laughs> well, yeah. We're, we're not in <laughs> fantasy land here. We're in history. And what happens to a leader who rushes bravely at the enemy? Well, he gets he gets chopped to pieces. But actually, he doesn't get chopped to pieces. But his horse gets shot from under him. Ooh. His horse is filled with arrows, uh, falls on the floor, dying. And obviously, he tumbles onto the battleground floor where he stands up and shouts, A horse! A horse! A kingdom for my horse! And then one of his bodyguards gives him one of his horses. While he runs away. The emperor jumps on this brand new horse and then realises this isn't going to work, so he just legs it, basically. He gallops away. Yeah. The bodyguard, by the way, is recorded what happens to him. He is chopped down almost immediately. So he gave his life for the emperor. So amazingly, despite almost single-handedly charging at the enemy, uh, Michael lives to fight another day. Wow. Yeah, he manages to get to a nearby fort and was soon joined by his father, who told him off in no uncertain terms. What the hell do you think you're playing at charging at the enemy single-handedly? You're the heir. You can't get killed. Yeah. Because then we've got, what, your young son, and he's grown up to be a bit of an idiot, so... Yeah. Not impressed, Michael. So, there's nothing they can do for now. Thrace is being ransacked by the Catalans, by the Bulgars. It's all just a mess. Uh, Fortunately for the Romans, however, internal problems after the death of Roger de Fleur meant that the Catalan force gradually dwindle. Uh, It breaks into factions, and they do actually just eventually go away. So that's nice. But the same can't be said for the Bulgars. Something needs to be done about them, and uh, fighting them didn't work last time. But the Emperor Andronicus too has a good idea. He goes to Michael and says, Michael, son, and he puts his hand on his shoulder, your youngest daughter... Theodora, what's she up to at the moment? Play with Lego, I think, sir. (laughs) Well, we're going to wed her to Svetoslav, the Bulgarian king. Our our mortal enemy? Yes, the man who humiliated you in battle a couple of years ago. That's the one. So um, that'll be fun, won't it? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and Uh, by the way, you'll give her away at the wedding. (laughs) Yes, we don't get an account of what the wedding was like, which is a shame, but I'm guessing Michael (laughs) Michael probably wasn't too impressed. I bet Uh, they had to sit next to each other at the same table as well. Bet they did. Fighting with their spoons, trying to like, no, I'll get some... Reenacting the battle using breadsticks and stuff. See, if I'd have done this, it'd have knocked you clean off your horse. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Svetoslav going in detail exactly how he had predicted every move of Michael's yeah. and why Michael was never going to win. And then, then Svetoslav just picks up one of his like, thin breadsticks and just snaps it with his thumb. That's you. <laughs> 
And then he just takes Michael's daughter's hand and they walk out together. Oh. And Michael's left sat there with a broken breadstick. And soup all over the table. But the problems aren't over. Uh, the Turks, who the Catalans had invited over to Thrace, they hadn't disappeared. So there was still a Turkish raiding party in Thrace. And uh, they, they had just been raiding with impunity. In fact, those Turks had so much loot now, they wanted to go home. They physically couldn't loot anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We're too weighed down. So much gold. We are. Wow. So so how do we get home? So they wrote to Andronicus and said, can we just, like, pass through uh, to get back home with all this loot we've looted off you, please? And could you lend us a few horses because there's so much loot? Yeah, uh, if you do that, um, well, just think about it. We'll be gone then and we won't be looting you anymore. So... Yeah, just let us through. Andronicus decides, uh, as much as he hated it, it's like, actually, this does make sense. At least they'll be gone. Fine, go, get out of this land. Just just sod off. <laughs> However, as they were passing through close to Constantinople, it became very clear just how much loot the Turks had. It was a lot. And it soon became very clear that politically Andronicus couldn't let this pass. He'd look too weak. Yeah. So he ordered several of his generals to go and attack the Turks and get all that loot back. However, those generals were generally too incompetent and too slow to move. And the Turks found out what was about to happen, so they took a nearby fort and called for reinforcements. So, Andronicus turns to his son once more. Right, you're in charge now. Go and take that fort. Go and defeat the Ottoman Turks and get our loot back. There's a slight problem. Um, They've got no forces left. I mean, most of the Allens have just legged it by now. All those Roman soldiers they did have have legged it. Uh, They literally have some peasants. So the peasants were rounded up and some armour was shoved on them. Uh, and <laughs> then Michael's, <do>. yeah <laughs> you there what's your name jeff yeah all right in the armor you go it's a bit like in helm's right. deep where they're just giving these battered swords to the like the, yes the it really is like that so uh all these peasants in armor um go to go and take the fort this goes about as well as you could guess yeah uh, one source tells us that michael was literally weeping and shaking with rage as his men refused to listen to him and the Turks just sort of swanned off with most of the loot. Uh, so that was a failure. Uh, soon after this, his father asked him to go and live in Thessalonica, second city of the empire at the time. Just just go away. Just go away, Michael. Well, the second city, uh, there was unrest there, and Andronicus wanted it quelled, which we covered last time, so I won't go into detail uh, again. But just know, people weren't happy in the city, and it was hoped that Michael being there would calm things. Mm-hmm. What we didn't cover last time is that there was a prophecy going around at this point <gasps> that Michael would die in Thessalonica. Uh, uh, but it wasn't Michael who died. Oh. Have, you got that, have you got that little list of family back? Yes. Yes. So what happened to Theodora? Uh, married off. Yeah, she was married off to his enemy. Yes. And then at this time, Michael gets really ill, and so does his daughter Anna. And Anna oh. dies. Oh. Yeah. Michael was very distraught by this. Uh, He was apparently very close to his daughter, Anna. So he was not only very ill, but very upset that his daughter's dead. And then some more news reaches Michael. His eldest son, Andronicus III, had accidentally set an assassin on his youngest son, Manuel. Accidentally? Yeah. Is this accidentally with bunny ears or just genuinely, I'm an idiot, I made a mistake? Anything? As far as we can tell, genuinely, accidentally assassinated his own brother. 
I'm not going to go into details now, because obviously this is Andronicus's story, so I'm going to go into details with him. But yeah, the news that Michael gets is his son, Manuel, has just been murdered due to his other son. I cannot wait for that episode. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a shame. And like I say, he was already really ill anyway. Apparently this news did him in. The death of his daughter and then the murder of his son in close succession when he was already on his deathbed anyway finishes him off. He dies in 1320. Wow. That's the end of Michael Nine. Right. Yeah. I mean, quite a tragic life because he didn't really do anything. I know, it's so depressing, isn't it? But it's quite sad, though. It's not like kind of a ha-ha, hilarious. It's kind of actually yeah. the, the reasons why things didn't work for him. And then the yeah. tragedy of his family. It's, that's... it's a really depressing reign. It is. It is. Right, let's Should arbitrarily rate him? rate him then, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Fightius Maximus. Okay, Fightius Maximus. I mean, straight away, obviously not good. But perhaps it's more of a mixed bag than you might first think. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not write him off as a zero straight away. Okay, to begin with, he loses to the Ottomans when he first goes to the east to try and put down the Turkish forces. Yeah. Now, he does lose that first battle, um, but he doesn't give up, remember. Afterwards, even though the Allens have fled, he tries to take on the Ottomans, but he's too weak. But at least he doesn't give up. And then illness takes him off the board at that point, so he can't continue. At this point, he is replaced by Roger, by his father, but he's sent to Thrace. And remember, he actually did some good in Thrace to begin with. He won several skirmishes and won back some forts. So there's something in the plus column. But then is the actual battle against Svetoslav and the Bulgars, uh, where he is defeated once more because his men charge onto a bridge. Now, it should be said that it is not on his orders, apparently. Apparently, his men got too over-enthusiastic and chased after the Bulgars. Do you think he looked at the bridge and said, I, that doesn't look very secure to me. I don't think... No, stop, 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 stop! Yeah, you get the impression it was more like that. Now, obviously, you, we still need to criticise him for that. He's in charge, so he needed yeah. better command of his troops. But he wasn't making stupid decisions, apparently. It's mm. just he didn't have full control over his undisciplined forces. So, anyway, uh, he's... He's defeated there. But it also does say that he fought bravely in this battle and he led from the front. Mm. So he was in the thick of fighting. And that's something we rarely see with Emperor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Then he is defeated by the Catalans after Roger is murdered. Again, the Allens did a runner. But then this is the battle. Yes, he is defeated soundly. But he's also got the really cool story where he essentially screams death and then charges single-handedly into the enemy. Yeah. Comes off his horse, scrambles onto another one, and manages to escape with his life. I mean, that's just pretty cool. Uh, and then he can't defeat the looting Turks at the end because he's he's leading a group of peasants because that's all the Romans have left. Uh, so, yes, I mean, it's not good, but there are some good personal stories. He's just got awful, awful undisciplined forces that he can't use. Mm. So how do we rank this? Well, I think we rank it like we've ranked everything. We have to rank him on his successes because if we ranked it everything on the past in the same way, it's like, well, he wasn't successful. Doesn't matter how brave and resilient he was, it didn't work. Oh, no, I think he deserves points for charging single-handedly into a... This isn't success didn't as work, Ultimus. Though. This is... Yeah, but it's not success as Ultimus. That's it's about how... Empire. It's how fighty he is. Yeah. And he single-handedly charged at a mm. force. I mean, you've got to get points for that. I, well... Are we pointing now? 
If you're about to say zero, Jay, I'm not going to say zero. I I'm going to say you're zero. breaking with precedent, not me. I'm not saying zero. You're not saying zero. No. What are you saying? Come on, I'm going to give on, him. Throw, throw your number out. I'm giving him a one for effort. <laughs> I'm going to give him two points for the cool story of charging in, and I'm going to give him one for the other tale of him personally leading troops at the front. I'm going to give him three. Yes, he lost everything, but he was a fighty emperor. He was far more fighty than most emperors we have had recently. Grand total of four, then. I think that's fair. Hazar Because he him. certainly doesn't, dis- he doesn't disturb many points. He lost everything. No. But, yeah, yeah, he's brave. Right, okay, Crazium. Crovium Crazium. Okay, there's only two things I could think of here. Uh, the first is the murder of Roger, and we decided during the episode that he was probably innocent of that. Yeah. So, does he deserve points? Mm, I mean, well, maybe I... a token point for no smoke without fire, but... That's the thing, it's like we don't know, we're just assuming from absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember in the past when we just don't know, we've given maybe a token point for the story, yeah. but not gone high. Uh, and the other thing is, I mean, he did charge at 5,000 knights on his own. Yeah. That's a bit crazy. It's like he wanted his death to be glorious. Yeah. He's like a so, Klingon from Star so, Trek. <laughs> so does he deserve a point for that? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah, I think so. I'll, yeah. I'll give him two, okay. actually. I'll give him two for that, because that's... Yeah. I mean, he's not killing people indiscriminately, but he's a bit... Yeah, it's, it's a bit... Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to give him one, um, because not much is going on, but yeah, he deserves a little something. Success Okay, this isn't his round. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... I, I don't think he can have anything for successes. I mean, correct me if you're you're thinking differently, but he, he, he failed at everything he tried. He, he carried the line on. Y- yes, he managed to have a child, but that child murdered his other son. <laughs> Not a good child. No. Um, no. And also ends up deposing his uh, father, if you remember last episode. Yeah. So I don't think he's getting points for succession. No. He's... Um, no. And he just failed every, every job he was given. I mean, you can argue it wasn't his fault, but eh, it just didn't achieve anything. I'm giving him zero. I'm giving him zero. He doesn't deserve anything here. Yeah. Okay, Imago Facius. Imago Facius. Well, that's a big beard. It's a big beard. He looks older here than I imagine him to and be. And very stressed looking. <laughs> he, he does is. look very, very stressed, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he looks as if he keeps losing battles. No, this is probably his expression whilst watching his daughter marry Svetoslav. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just tense, stressed, not happy. Yeah. I mean, it's we've had these images for a while now. Not much is changing. Nothing is jumping out to say this one's amazing apart from a stressed face. I'm going middle of the road. I'm saying five. He has a slightly wonky face. Okay. The beard Does on that the, mean the, he deserves? Well, the beard on the left side is slightly higher than the beard on the, on the right side, but that could be due to stress shaving. Yeah, probably. So, what are you going for? Um, I quite like the detail, um, but it's nothing that like stands out. I'm going to give him five. Yeah. Okay. So that is a total of two point five for this round. Temple completed. Okay. How long do you think he lasts? Well, he's, he's crowned quite young, wasn't he? So fifteen he years, was. ten years, something like that. From 1294 to 1320. Hmm. 
Yes, remember his father had a very long rule. So him yeah. being co-emperor, he was very much a Prince Charles kind of figure <laughs> of uh, just just hanging around. So that is 26 years, which gives him a score of 3.25 for this round. Okay, so what's his total score? 12.75. 12.75. Better than I thought it would. I, I, know, yeah. I, know I disagree with this fighty. I think he's got a zero fighty, if I'm being really honest. How many times have you charged against 500 fighting knights? 5,000, sorry, Jamie. 5,000 knights. When was the last time you charged against 5,000 knights? But he wasn't successful with it. He didn't win a battle because of it. He lost and killed his favourite bodyguard. But he, he survived. Leon. Poor Leon. He, no, one think, he, no one remembers Leon in history. They were thinking, oh, Michael Nine. He charged 5,000 knights and lived to tell the tale, and you're not giving him a single fighty point for that. No, because it was a stupid decision to make, and his dad told him <laughs> off afterwards. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, it was stupid. Yes. That's why he's, he's not getting points for successes and why he got some points for being crazy. But it's also fighty. But okay, it's I'm, not, because he didn't fight. He listeners. jumped on a horse and ran away. Listeners, who's right here? And who's wrong? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they all know it's me. They all know it's me. Well, tell you what, underneath uh, this week's episode on Facebook, um, just let us know who's right, me or Jamie, about uh, whether he deserved some token points for Fighty. And next episode, we will reveal that the listeners are with me, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) You've got such a silky smooth voice. It's not fair. (laughs) I, I, I... With my nasally voice, I can't compete with you. Tell you what, I'll give you 20 seconds to convince everyone in your silkiest voice. Off you go. So, ladies and gentlemen, he didn't actually do any fighting, and any fighting he did was horrendously disappointing. He made stupid decisions. Yes, you could argue it was a point of his circumstance, however, it didn't work. Oh. (laughs) Remember to add some bass to it and get rid of the nasal sound. Okay, I'll do that. Right. Anyway, okay, we've got one more question to say no to. <laughs> Do they have a certain Genesisa? Nope. Obviously not. No, no. Definitely not. Yeah, I've already forgotten who he is. Right, okay, that was whoever <laughs> was nine. Um, who scored higher than maybe some people would have thought. But we are about to enter the period of history known as the Paleologos Civil Wars. Ooh, that sounds fun. It's all about to get a bit messy, Jamie. Yeah. In fact, quite a lot messy, as in the messiest it's ever been, I think. There is a very <laughs> good chance that we are going to be doing John 6 before John 5. Huh? That level of messiness. Yeah, wow. yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so we we will see what's going to happen. Um, but it's, it's going to be a good, fun period of time to cover. Uh, so look forward to that. And uh, thank you very much for uh, all of you listening. And thank you for downloading us on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Amazon Prime, or wherever you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy it. That was very presumptuous yes. of me. <laughs> and if you do enjoy it and you want to support the podcast, uh, feel free to go and join our Patreon. Um, mm. Because if you do, then you get, oh, you get all sorts of goodies. You get Extra all episodes. of our... You get all of our bonus episodes um, from uh, the Roman Republic episodes, but also the Founding Fathers episodes. We're yeah. six episodes into Alexander Hamilton now, which is very exciting. <laughs> it <Plus>, never ends. <laughs> you get you get all of our fourth week episodes, which is just us doing whatever we feel like yeah. every now and again. Um, and occasionally we release things like our intelligent speech mm. 
uh, episode that we did, which is we recently released the episode where we talked to the Rex Factor and Pontifax about podcasting, which was very fun. So Mm. if you fancy it and you want to support us, that would be greatly appreciated. Should we say what's coming out on our latest fourth week? Uh, yes, yes, go on. And what is coming out it's, next? Uh, so, um, me and Rob re-listened to Didius Julianus. Oh, yes, we did. And it's, it's a bit like one of these reaction things. That we're, we call it a commentary. We're commentating on our episode, and it's, it's quite fun. I forgot how funny it was, actually. <laughs> yes, it was a good episode to re-listen to. So, yeah, if you want to hear a commentary of a podcast, then join our Patreon. Right, OK, thank you very much then. Um, and until next time, all that needs to be said is... Fighty should have been zero. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
A solid gold crucifix. Which he then passed to the eagle. Yes. That's, I'm, I'm at least one in 2,000 at the moment. Would the eagle grab the crucifix with the talons or the beak? Um, with, with its third wing. That sounds miraculous, doesn't it? Really it really does. Yes, so we've got, he was born at midday on Easter yes. and with a crucifix that he gave to an eagle with three wings. That sounds... Does this sound like a miracle? Well, I, I'll be honest, I think that at the moment it sounds a bit preposterous. Well, we need to make a sound miraculous. Let's go bigger. Okay, bigger, bigger. More unlikely. More unbelievable. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yes. Right, okay, so what we've got so far, he was born at noon on Easter Day. He was holding a crucifix, which he gave to an eagle with three wings, which was riding an elephant. And he was singing Gangnam Style with the full troop of dancers. A miracle. I think we're pretty much at a miracle. Excellent. Great. Our job here is yes, done. I, think so. I will spread the news, sir. That'd be splendid. I mean, the only miracle I can think of, to be honest, is the fact that I've been away on campaign for two years and my wife got pregnant with my child. I mean, that's just... It's outstanding, isn't it, really? Oh, shit.